Hello, and welcome to episode 289 of Constructing Comics, a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time. On this episode, we have an interview with Joel Rodriguez, creator of Dusk County Chronicles, Nightmares 1 and 2, Monsters and Nightmares, now on Kickstarter. Joel, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. Um, We usually start off with two things for our interviews. We start off with a quick bio and an elevator pitch for the book. Uh, Thanks for having me, Matt. Uh, so quick bio, I am a, a comic books letterer as well as a writer. I actually started as a writer with this series, The Dust County Chronicles, about, I think, three years ago, and my career has pretty much just taken off since then. Now I'm primarily a letterer and graphic designer. I have worked for Scout Comics, both as their head of design, as well as letterer for several titles, including uh, State, Phantom Star Killer, Cherry Blackbird, and a bunch of other titles. I've also worked for Antarctic Press, Caliber Comics, Black Caravan, Scoop, and a, a number of kickstarted titles. So the Dust County Chronicles started as a horror anthology series that sought to take uh, fairy tales that we all know and love and put a horror twist to them. So I always start with what if Toy Story was a slasher? Oh, wow. Yeah. And it started with just two short anthology single issues um, totaling eight short stories in total. After those two issues released, I came out with the Dust County Chronicles Nightfall, which is the second issue of which is currently on Kickstarter. And the unique, the unique thing about the Dust County Chronicles is although they are self-contained short stories, each one being four to five pages, they all take place in the same geographic location of Dust County. Mm-hmm. And the Dust County Chronicles Nightfall takes characters from all of those stories and brings them together for one three uh three issue miniseries and that story itself takes it follows one young woman on her journey through dust county to try and find her sister who disappeared while traveling through town and it's her trying to survive the night and running into um a number of unsuspecting and un, um, uh, unsuspecting allies as well as quite a few monsters along the way. Very cool. So um, y- you talked about uh, you know the, the anthology and, and the different story elements. Uh, do you have uh, a series of, of artists working on it so that the, the, the look changes or is it uh, um, you know a couple of artists or is it like different artists each each story? Um, so it's kind of interesting where it's a little bit yes to both the art changes, Mm -hmm. but there's only one artist. Oh, wow. I, I, my collaborator throughout the entire series has been Roman Gubsky, who's a Russian artist, uh, lives in Costa Rica and we've worked on dust County together since the very beginning, every short story and even nightfall, he's the primary story artist. We've had a number of uh, varying cover artists, but he's been the one throughout the beginning and, or throughout the entire thing, excuse me. And with the anthology aspect, we wanted each one to feel like it was drawn by a different artist. So he switched up his style with every story. And it wasn't until Nightfall where we picked one 
uh, main style for Dust County. That's that's super cool. Um, with him being in you know in a different country, was it a uh, a search of the internet for for an artist that you you felt uh, fit the fit the look of what you were going for? Yeah, definitely. I searched a bunch of different Facebook groups and posted ads, and of course, it was my first time working in the industry, so I had no idea what I was doing. I was lucky to come across Roman when he shared a couple of art samples and we talked and luckily things worked out. Ironically, the samples that I liked are nothing like what the Dust County Chronicles ended up looking like in the final series. Very cool. And I'm guessing maybe um, you, when you put the post in, you know, there, there's a number of ways to, to go about it. Um, you know, if you, if you say that, you know, you, you early early on and I, I don't know if this is the case for you but did, did you say it was like a like a paying job uh on the on that board yeah yeah, yeah. I, knew from, I knew from the very beginning that if i had collaborators i was going to be paying those collaborators um, yeah mainly because even before getting into the industry i imagined that um the shared royalties and things like that and it's this industry nothing's guaranteed sure so it, it would be a very difficult pitch especially having no credits mm -hmm. um so i figured my biggest um selling point would be the fact that i could actually provide finances yeah and um you know i've i've had this i've had similar experiences and when you you go to those boards and you say that it's a, it's a paying job you uh, i'm guessing your your inbox got got flooded pretty quickly right oh yeah i think i had some 70 or 80 with uh submissions within the first 10 minutes yeah yeah um yeah that's really cool and it's uh, awesome that uh, you you found a collaborator so early on that that seems to to be working you know you guys are you know still together working on these things uh you know to this date um has the has the process um changed over time um with you guys working um you know have you been able to streamline things you know build sort of a second language where you guys are, are communicating as, as time's gone on um Yes and no. Uh, mm -hmm. We got a really good flow going, but then COVID happened and sure. delays happened. So now we're kind of trying to find our groove again as we're working on the next issue. But yeah, before COVID and before all of that, we did actually have a pretty consistent groove going. And one thing that I value about our relationship and I believe he does as well, is it's a very collaborative process where I, I'll write a script and I leave pretty much everything thematically open to interpretation. And there are specific key scenes where I'll have an idea, but I'm thinking about it as a writer. So I leave it up to him to uh, give any input on the visual aspects of it. Like my my visual imagination can only get me so far. And there's one scene in particular that I scripted from the Dust County Chronicles number one, the original, that I had a pretty clear vision of what I wanted. And then he pitched an idea to me that was like 800 times better than what I had imagined. And we ended up going with that. So we had that level of collaboration from the very beginning, but that bond has just grown over the years.
Very cool. And do you see things in various states of, of production, you know, thumbnails, uh, pencils? Um, I, I'm assuming um, your artist is, is also doing your inks. Do you, do you see them in, in various stages of production? Yeah, I see it along every step of the way. Um, so he'll do a stage, send it to me. We'll talk about it, see if there are any edits that need to happen. And then he'll move on to the next stage until the page is done. Very cool. Um, and uh, is the is the does the artist work uh, digital or, or traditional or maybe a combination of, of the two? It's a combination. He does pencils and inks traditionally and then goes over to digital for color. Nice. And so does that mean that you have uh, original art uh, pages uh, that maybe you can hang up on your wall and look at? I have original art and original concept sketches for everything. Very cool. Yeah, I've I've worked with a number of artists um, that are digital, but you know, every, on a couple of occasions, the uh, the artist is traditional, and it's just really awesome. I mean, it's one thing; it's awesome to you know get a notification in Dropbox or an email or whatever, and this thing that's been living in your head for so long is is this image on a on a screen, which is either like you described, you know, sometimes it's exactly what you had in your mind's eye, or sometimes it's so much better. But then there's this other thing is to, to have like a physical, tangible object to, to hold. This, this is really cool. Yeah, I, uh, whenever I'm talking to people about seeing a page for the first time, I liken it to Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the the kickstarter it seems like uh you're collecting a couple of, of things here can you talk a little bit about what we can expect to, to get in this kickstarter yeah so it the kickstarter was built to be a good jumping on point for any new backers or anyone interested in checking out dust county for the first time as well as having plenty of options for people who have been there since the beginning uh, we have catch-up tiers, uh, both digital and physical, that makes it to where you can get all four of the current issues. That's the original two Dust County Chronicles, as well as the first Dust County Chronicles Nightfall and the new one, uh, Nightfall number two. Um, so four issues in total available digitally as well as physically with a variety of variant cover bundles and options and then uh, collectible bags for the first couple of issues. Um, and one thing that we're excited to be introducing with this, uh, with this campaign are metal covers. Uh, we've never done metals before, but I've been a huge fan of them. So what I did was I picked my favorite cover from each of the four issues and we're getting metal variants made of them. Very cool. And, um, if you're, if you're able to, or maybe it's with your connections in the industry, do you, did you like go out to anybody and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about doing a metal cover. Is there is there something I need to maybe look out for something I need to maybe, you know, know about? Because, you know, um, you know, I've done covers and then I figured out with my printer how to do sketch covers, but I've never sort of done any metal. So was there anybody that you like said, hey, is there things that I should should be aware of things that, you know, I might want to. You know, if I'm looking at a website, I might want to make sure that uh, this person understands exactly, you know, what I'm trying to get here. Yeah, it's um, through my connections in the industry, my time with Scout Comics, as well as just working with different people. 
Mm -hmm. I've gathered a network that I can reach out to when I'm thinking of new ideas. And between the um, few people that I have as go-to advisors, uh, so to speak, they usually lead me on the right path when I'm looking to try something new. Very cool. And that's going to be probably pretty awesome. You know, we talked about holding something, but like that first, have, have you seen a proof or anything like that? Or maybe you're, you're waiting for the, the Kickstarter to, to fund to, to get to hold that, uh, that metal cover. Yeah, I've, I've held metal covers before. I do a lot of work with David Byrne and Stake. Um, okay. Actually has a Kickstarter live right now as well. Um, but he is a cover. Um, I, I don't even know the proper term for it. He has a bunch of different covers and a bunch of different options, and he's always experimenting with new things. So the first time that I ever held a metal cover was actually steak. And I knew that I really wanted to get a metal cover. So when we decided we were coming back to Kickstarter, that was when I said, okay, now we're going to do it. Very cool. And do you um, have any data or any experience um, with, with what people are looking for? Do you, do you find um, people might, look and like pick their favorite and i'm sure there's some people that like have to have it all so do you have like a combination of you know somebody goes in and goes hey i like cover c i'm going to get cover c but then you probably have backers that like i gotta have all of these covers so so do do you see that um with this campaign it's a bit skewed of course Mm -hmm. the campaign is still active and i don't have as much time to review the data as i used to Mm -hmm. um i actually brought a good friend of mine travis gibb on as project manager to help me um help me with this campaign because uh without getting into too many details this campaign has actually been delayed for a very long time i've been sitting on the completed artwork for about a year okay Uh, but I have an 18 month old child as well as being a stay-at-home dad and working full-time as a letterer. So as much as I wanted to get Dust County out, things kept coming up and it kept getting pushed back and back and back and back. And I was talking to Travis about it and essentially saying how much I really wanted to get it out, but I couldn't see it happening anytime soon. And he graciously volunteered to, uh, help out and he has been uh, fantastic with keeping backers up to date because uh, with the first three campaigns I did everything that I could to stay, keep the backers up to date communicate with them almost daily just doing everything I could to be face front and center but now I that time restriction has really been weighing on me and I didn't want my backers to feel left out or that I had abandoned them by any way. So he, he's been able to help out a lot with that. Um, but transitioning back to your question, I haven't had as much time to look at the data, but what I have noticed is there are particular covers that backers will choose. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, there are particular trends that you see when it comes to picking um the higher tier covers like for example uh in a campaign that i did previously i offered uh virgin variants um 
as well as foil, a trade dress, just a wide variety of different options, more so than I did in this current campaign. And back then, I noticed that a particular piece of artwork that looked like it would be a very beautiful foil cover was typically the one that I sold more foils on. So it really depends on the artwork itself. Cool. So, yeah, and I can attest to the fact that, that Travis is doing, you know, an amazing job. I, I know that like uh, he set this interview up with, you know, the two of us to, to talk and I, I see him, I see him posting on, on social media. Um, did he like help you, um, you know, you had some experience with, with Kickstarter. Did he help you to design the page or was that something that you kind of had been sitting on as well and maybe going in every once in a while and making, making a tweak to it or, or making an update to it? So I had designed the page or I had opened the page quite a while ago with every intention of going in and tweaking it as I had time, but I was, that was one of the things that kept getting pushed off. So although I had experience with Kickstarter, my experience was from a couple of years ago back pre-COVID when the last Dust County campaign was. And I had figured that a bunch of stuff had changed since then. I knew that Travis, as well as a couple of other um, colleagues of mine, had been constantly running campaigns throughout. So although I did all of the graphic design work for the campaign, um, aside from the video that was done by David Byrne, a uh, fantastic video, um, although I did all of the graphic design elements, uh, Travis did help out a lot when it came to uh, different formatting and different placements of different sections as trends have adjusted on Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So he he was instrumental in taking what knowledge i did have and updating it over the past couple of years that i had missed nice and so um i want to ask you a little bit about uh, working as a as a, a full-time letterer um so i'm assuming you you know you have a number of, of scripts uh coming coming through uh to you um do you sort of um, like have like a workflow that you like you sit down um, and you just sort of go through the scripts and, and the files and you, you know, you work your way through one book? Um, do you have to like maybe prioritize them as far as like, you know, I have like the, you know, this one's got the quickest, you know, deadline. So this one's going to go to the front of my list and, and stuff like that. How do you sort of how, how does it actually maybe just like what's the average day for you as a, as a full time letterer like? Well, I, I got to start by saying I work full-time in comics, as in this is my only job, but I don't do it full-time. Okay, mainly, got you. Mainly, I, mainly just because uh, the vast majority of my time is spent with my son when he's awake uh, sure. while his mom's at work. Uh, but when I am working, I tend to start my day by going through any um, edits that have come in for my clients for books that I've already submitted. And I knock all of those out so that I can move on to the pages that need to be done that day. And then, yeah, I prioritize based on a deadline as well as um, uh, the, schedule, uh, the schedule allotment. And the way that I actually build my rate structure is tiered based on the turnaround time that I have from when I receive the pages. Okay. Basically... I tell my clients that whenever they get me pages, 
and they need something done, I can get it done. But the if they give me pages and then a day later they need everything turned in, it's going to cost more than if I have a month to work on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of how I keep it fair amongst my clients when it comes to the scheduling. And then the number of pages that I do in a typical day, as well as how many different books I'm working on, is all based on that schedule and when things are due and how much time I have in that particular day. Nice. And uh, what, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what, uh, what program are you using to, to letter the, the pages and the, the scripts that are coming into you? I use uh, the industry standard, which is Illustrator. Okay. Um, I use Adobe Illustrator for the lettering and then Adobe InDesign for compositing and uh, print prep. Very cool. And uh, also, if you don't mind me asking, um, the, I've worked with uh, you know a couple of, of different letterers over time, and there, there seems to be sort of two ways that they, they go about it. You know, they give me exactly what I put down and the script is, is turned around and, and given to me um, on the page. And then there's some um, letterers that will say, hey, you know what? I think maybe you, you don't need this here. You might want to move this here or the silent panel that you have here might actually benefit from a word balloon. Um, do, do you have a philosophy there that like, hey, the client gave me this, I'm going to give that back to him or like, you know, I'm going to take some creative license here and, and offer a few suggestions here and here and there? Honestly, it depends on the client and the relationship that I have with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first onboard a client and I first start working with the client, I'll tend to default more so to this is what they have on the page. This is what, um, or this is what they have scripted. So that's what they get on the page with the exception of, um, anything that is a spatial necessity. So say for example, they have a very cramped page artistically, Mm -hmm. but they have several sentences worth of dialogue that also needs to go in there. I may take part of that and move it to a prior panel as long as I feel it still fits the pacing of the story that they were trying to tell. Uh, So in those regards where I view it more as a lettering necessity. I will make that change, even if it's a new client. But I have a philosophy when it comes to design in general, whereas I don't do anything that I can't explain. Mm -hmm. So if I make a design decision and a client questions, uh, questions that decision, I will have a reasoning for it that I can articulate. So I never tell my clients, oh, well, I'm the letterer, you should trust me. I say, this is why I made that decision for ABC reasons. If I've been working with a client for an extended period of time and we've built that rapport, then I'll give more feedback in certain elements and suggest different sound effects in certain areas to make things um, to more accentuate um, scenes, et cetera. And uh, did you take any sort of like online education or were you able to sort of build your skill as maybe sort of like a lifelong you know comics reader you kind of know like the positioning that like you know word panel you know flow and stuff like that uh what was your sort of background in 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 learning uh lettering fantastic questions i uh i 
started with a couple lettering courses, one from Comic Craft, uh, which is uh, a very well-known lettering company started by Richard Starkings and Josh or John Rochelle. And uh, I did a lettering course from them as well as a couple of clinics with Richard Starkings where he uh, talked about several aspects of lettering, but the vast majority came from trial and error. Mm -hmm. uh, I started with my own book, The Dust County Chronicles. That way I could experiment and learn the ropes without interfering with clients. And honestly, I was never... I never started lettering with the intention of taking on clients and doing that. When I first started getting into the, uh, the comics industry, I was going to be a writer and that was going to be my main thing. Uh, but after I started lettering and I started practicing on my own books and trial and error, figuring these things out, people started coming to me asking if I would letter books for them. And one thing led to another. And here I am now. I'm still learning new things and trying out new things every day, but the vast majority of it is trial and error. Um, see what works, see what doesn't, and move on and try new things. Nice. Yeah, we often say on this podcast that uh, the letterer is sort of like the the unsung hero of of the of the comic. They're sort of like a referee at a sports game. Like you don't notice them unless they've done something wrong to call attention to themselves so, you know if, if the letterer is doing his job you don't think about um how the balloons are positioned you sort of are engulfed in the page and, and you're, you're you're following along but you know if the letter sort of makes it a little bit difficult to read you might read a balloon out of order and go oh i was supposed to read it that way so it sort of takes you out of the story for a moment and you go back and you, you know, you start working your way back through the balloon. So um, we, we often sort of make that comparison on, on this podcast. Yeah, that is 100% correct. Are there any like books that you look at um, say for maybe like the big two and you were like, Oh man, I can't, um, I, I'm, that letter did like an amazing job. I'm thinking about some of like those old, Bendis um, Avengers books where they're just sort of sitting around the table having breakfast and sort of doing either like a mission brief or a mission debrief and there's like a circular like 36 panel you know 12 characters talking or there one uh, do you ever see one and you're like oh wow that must have been a bit of a nightmare to, to figure out or or you know yeah just... I, I, I see things like that all the time um, not as much anymore because honestly, I don't read as many comics as I used to. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I, whenever I'm looking through reference material and something catches my eye, I always find myself analyzing the letterer's work to see if there's anything I could glean from it or anything that I wouldn't do that they did. But when it comes to letterers that really draw my attention, it's actually from the comic book series that got me into liking comics was Spawn. Okay. And Tom Morzachowski, who I've, um, I've talked to a couple of times since joining the industry, has he started with the big two and has since lettered every single issue of Spawn with the exception of one because they wanted to test out a backup letterer in case uh, Tom couldn't do it at a certain point. 
but he has since lettered all 320 something whatever they're at now wow but back before i even knew what lettering was i remember looking at spawn and just falling in love with how the balloons and everything that tom created seemed like a piece of the artwork his font selections his placements everything blended perfectly and fit the tone of that book so before i even knew what lettering was tom morzachowski was a huge influence of mine nice um so i guess maybe to sort of tie things together um this is probably pretty a safe assumption but you're lettering um the, the these these books that are on kickstarter right yes yeah yep. so you know at one point they're you know words on a on a page or their words on a on a file um that that you're you know in your your mind's eye you know you're seeing these you know these panels come together and 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 the you, you're creating this dialogue but then once you see it on the page are you using that that lettering pass as a, as a uh, like maybe like an extra editing session going all right you know x months ago when i wrote this this is kind of what i'm thinking but now that i see you know character x character y in this panel you know and i you know i i know their motivations i you know i kind of feel like i know them a little bit better at this point do you do you use that as a chance to to you know make an edit there or, or clean up some of what you might have had in your script yeah without a doubt um lettering my own stuff is probably my favorite to do ironically i don't have enough time to letter my own stuff nowadays but i i like lettering my own stories because if i come across something that the writer does that i didn't like mm -hmm. I, I can yell at the writer because that's myself so i'm able to go through change change anything that i want adjust as needed and then uh, like you mentioned, I'm able to account for stuff that I couldn't see before being the artwork and specific placements of the characters. So without a doubt, I definitely use it as an additional pass. So I've had people on that are, you know, like a writer artist, and I've said, you know, hey, uh, you know, since you're handling both aspects of creation here, um, are you maybe like able to, um, you know, not go like full script maybe a little marvel method with you know your your ideas and you're sort of actually working out some of the 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 story more and like the thumbnails and the pencils uh, i'm wondering if somebody who's you know knows that they're going to have that pass to to sit down and, and do the lettering do you ever get to a point where you're like i don't exactly know what the character is going to say here or you know i'm not really thrilled with what you know this this bit of dialogue here but you know that like hey i have this chance coming up later um and when i see the you know the page almost at its fully produced state that i'm going to be able to, to fix these things i'm wondering if you can just sort of know that you, you have that so if the dialogue isn't like perfect you, you know you're going to have another chance to to work it out unfortunately i haven't seen that as the case okay um, mainly because when I give the script to Roman, he needs to account for how much dialogue there is in a particular panel. Mm -hmm. So I may make tweaks and adjustments as things are going, um, but they're usually minor. And regardless, at that point, 
I'm working in the space that the artist has given me. Whereas if I were to say, I'll, I'll just script the dialogue for this later, I, I'm not really sure what they're going to say. So I'll just give Roman a blank slate. Yeah. He has no idea how much space to give. Sure. So I, I could very easily find myself in a situation where I have this really fantastic dialogue idea, but now I don't have the space for it because I didn't account for it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a very good point. I think a lot of times um, we don't, um we don't think about it but you know if you have an artist who really understands um how to set up a page it's very important that if two characters are are talking you know there's a little bit of space above their heads you know maybe like a ceiling line a little bit of you know sky above them that that, that stuff is gonna be able to fit so yeah i could see why you're saying that um you know if you if you were a little bit more laxed at the scripting part, thinking that, hey, um, I can punch this up later, you, you would run into that problem of, you know, you would get to a point and go, oh, this would be amazing here, but I unfortunately don't, don't have enough room for that here. So that, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and as being a letterer, nothing breaks my heart more than having to cover art that the artist took time to draw. Yeah, very true. Awesome. So um, let's do this as we as we close up. Um, I know that you're extremely busy. Um, you, know, you got a lot of things going on, but a lot. Of, I always try to ask people that are running a Kickstarter um, when they're on the when they're on the podcast and their campaign is live. What type of Kickstarter runner are they? Are they one that's refreshing the page every thirty seconds? Or are they able to sort of um, go walk the dog in your case, maybe, uh, you know, have a play date with your son, come back, check the Kickstarter and whatever it is, is, is what it is. What, uh, what sort of um, philosophy do you have about uh, checking in on your Kickstarter? So personally, I am 100% refreshing all day, every day, as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Uh, my time restrictions have actually been a blessing in disguise in this regard. Um, like today, I wasn't able to check my campaign all day. So when I finally sat down and looked at it, it was a pleasant surprise because as of this point, uh, the Dust County Chronicles Nightfall number two has become the most funded campaign for the Dust County Chronicles. And that was because of a couple of collectors tiers that got pledged towards and it, it was a welcome surprise that I wouldn't have gotten if I had been able to go my normal route and just refresh all day, every day. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I am with you. I'm a, a bit of a, a maniac of uh, refreshing the the page and, and seeing where it's at, but it's almost also one of those things. It's like, uh, what is the, uh, the saying about a watched pot doesn't, doesn't boil, or I, I think I, I might've messed that cliche up, but it's no, sort of like, perfect if you know if you're i found that if i'm sitting there refreshing the page nothing happens but then like i have to go do something um you know and i have a break i'm away from my computer and then i sit down and and two pledges came in so it's sort of like that thing that like i I don't know it's sort of like the cosmic uh you know fates that if you're sitting there clicking the the refresh button nothing happens but if you step away and, and go do something else uh you do have those pleasant surprises where you, you come back and you're like oh yeah i picked up uh x amount of, of backers and you know this is this is where we are now so that's that's another thing that uh is, is kind of crazy 
yeah i i've had to fight the urge because i have a very obsessive personality just normally day to day i have a very rigid schedule um i'm i like to say that i'm a creature of habit so when you give me something like a kickstarter my natural instinct is to just sit there and hit refresh so have, having to step away from that and chase a baby around all day has given me a bit of a sanity break. Very cool. So let's do this also as we close up. Um, we're certainly going to talk about the Kickstarter, but where are the best places uh, to, to follow you online? Um, and, you know, if somebody's listening to this and uh, that they, they're, they're like, hey, I, I need a letter for my, my project, uh, do you, do you have a website or what's the best way to, to get a hold of you? Yeah, so the best way to get a hold of me is either through my website, metalninjastudios.com. Uh, that's M-E-T-A-L ninjastudios.com and Facebook at Metal Ninja Studios. I do all of my lettering work through my company so they can reach out to me either on Facebook or via the website. There's a link to my portfolio and um, anyone who's interested in following Dust County, there's also a uh, link down at the bottom of the website that gives you an opportunity to sign up for our mailing list so that you can be the first one uh, to get information about new releases and such. Very cool. Well, you know, most importantly, we're going to have a link to the, the Kickstarter in the show notes, but I'll link the website and the, and the Facebook page for, for people to, to check out as well. Um, but Joel, let's do this also. Let's, um, you know, you gave us a, an elevator pitch, but if you want to go a little bit more in depth with this sort of final uh, pitch for the book, let's, 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 let's hear a little bit more about this book. All right. So the Dust County Chronicles Nightfall follows Lori Evans, whose sister had previously been traveling through Dust County. And uh, her sister was actually a character featured in the Dust County Chronicles number one. It's a callback to the very first issue, one of the short stories listed there. And as Lori is trying to find her sister, she realizes very quickly that things are not right in that her sister is just the most recent in a long string of disappearances that for some reason the police seem to be covering up. So she begins her own investigation and teams up with another woman named Susan whose daughter ha has also gone missing. And these two women start in, or uh, travel from point A to several uh, locations from previous stories to try and find their missing loved ones. And along the way, things don't go as expected and they end up in a fight for their lives trying to survive the monsters that secretly call Dust County home. That sounds, that sounds really cool. Thanks, uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, very cool. Um, so, you know, again, let's, uh, let's have folks check out this Kickstarter. Um, we're recording this podcast in the middle of, of July. How long is this, uh, this Kickstarter going to be running for? Uh, I believe it ends the first week of August. First week uh, of it's August. A, it's a 30 day campaign and it launched on the fifth. So okay. it'll be uh, ending around the first few days of August. Okay. So we're, approaching approaching the midpoint but you know um act quickly 
um, and these these this latter part of of July would you know be our best advice for everybody. Yep, and we have plenty of surprises and new things coming up down the line. So uh, if you uh, if you check it out, be sure to check back because there may be something new. Very cool. Um, well, thanks again for, for being on. And uh, it was a lot of fun to, to hear about uh, your book and your, your skills as, as a letterer. I think that that was great for, for folks to hear. Um, there will be also a Kickstarter link for Superior Sam, Everybody Needs a Home. Uh, that book is also currently on Kickstarter. Uh, Noah, my co-host, who is not able to be here tonight, is the letterer on that book. Um, and I am help, helping out as the co-publisher with my partners at Ageless Press. Um, so Kickstarter link there. Um, if you give us a rating and review on the podcasting service you use, we'd really appreciate it. If you can follow the podcast on Twitter, and that is at ConstructCompod, Instagram is Constructing Comics Pod, and Facebook is Constructing Comics. Just once again, want to thank everybody for listening. Please be safe. Be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.